0: The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com.
1: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 9. Now, I understand that turning to the book of Hebrews is a bit of a scary thing because Pastor Dressler just finished, a little while back, a whole series on the book of Hebrews, and he did a wonderful job walking through that book. But as I studied this for the past couple weeks, thinking about this time together, I kept being drawn back to this one text in Hebrews chapter 9. I couldn't get it out of my head. It was just it was the thing that said everything I want to say. And so I would say that if, if you get anything from the Word of God this morning in Hebrews 9, then you should go back to listen, re-listen to all of pastor's sermons on Hebrews 9, and I'm sure they will be much better. <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm glad we can be here together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It is a special time because it is the service that our Savior has called us to. Right, we are called to come to the table to remember. And Jesus did that, I know, because it is, it is so common for us to forget to remember the most important things, right? We can live our lives so easily and be distracted and be caught up in details that don't really matter. And we can be in our circumstances and only see those things. But this service calls us to remember what is absolutely the most important thing. And that is the fact that Jesus, the son of God, came to die for you. That's a glorious truth. As believers, we look back on human history, and we believe that through the death of Christ, we can be saved. And though that day, 2,000 years ago, may be the most shameful death day in human history, because that is the day that humanity crucified God, the Savior, it is also the most important day in human history. It is the day that, for many of us, our eternities changed. The day that Jesus died for us, the day that his blood was spilt, the day that our ransom was paid, and the resurrection three days later was God's stamp of approval on what Christ had done, that he truly was who he claimed to be, that he had conquered death and now was risen again to be seated at the right hand of the throne of God forever. So here we are today, the communion service, services that Jesus gave us. And I want to begin by making a bit of a confession this week was a tough week for me. And I don't know if this happens to you. I'm sure it does. But there are some weeks that just seem harder than others. And it was not for any particular reason. It was just study felt hard. And the kids, they were bad. <laughs> and I I responded not not well all of those times. And we're going through this parenting class that's telling me exactly what I'm supposed to do. And I'm not always doing it. And so it it was just personally one of those weeks that is more difficult than usual. And last night, I sat down to go kind of look through this one more time before going to bed. And I, I got to tell you, I was so grateful for the reminder. It just, it just took my mind off of all of what had happened and all of who, who I was, who I know I am, back to the truth that Jesus died for a wretched sinner, that I am now a child of God. And there's so much that we can gain from remembering this that can encourage us in the moment, that can help us face the circumstances that are here, but that can reorient our our focus, our gaze for all of our lives so that we're not just thinking about the rat race we're in. You're not just thinking about the the trouble you're facing, though it might be large. You have your mind focused on something beyond that, something eternal, something that, that truly, truly does matter forever. And the cross is what made all of that happen. So it is the most important day in human history, but part of what I want to talk about today is that it's actually not the best day. The best day in human history is yet to come. It is the day that we set our sights in person on Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's that day coming in the future. It's, It's heaven. It's eternity. Those are the things that... Are the greatest things in life, the most important things, the ones that, the only things that last forever. And I don't know about you, but it is so much more difficult for me to focus my attention on things that are eternal when there's just so much going on in my life right now. And I think we would be so much better off. I think that God wants us to think more about heaven, to think more about his promises of heaven and what it's gonna be like. And who's going to be there? And what it's going to be like to see the face of our Savior? There's a song that we sung a couple years ago for the first time. And from that point outside, when it was first sung, it's become kind of my favorite song. It's Whenever you tell Google what to play, it's what I go to. All right? It's called The Hymn of Heaven. And I, I like it because it beckons me to think about a day that I don't naturally think about says, there will be a day when all will bow before him. Can you imagine that day when all creatures bow before the king? There will be a day when death will be no more. You think about any trial you face, the greatest of all of those enemies is the enemy of death. And death will be no more. That we will stand face to face with the one who died and rose again. That someday, all of the hurt, all of the pain, all of the difficulty is gone, and we are standing before our Savior. What a day that will be. Holy, holy is the Lord. A few weeks back, I was uh, giving a lesson to our teenagers, and we looked at Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. And one of the Beatitudes says in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And we went through that fairly quick with, quickly with the teens, but I tell you that that idea of the inheritance, of what it means for the meek to inherit the earth, it kind of stuck with me. It reminded me of some other wonderful verses in God's word, like Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, that says, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. Or Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. They're wonderful verses, right? They, they talk about the fact that, that believers in Jesus Christ have an inheritance. And maybe the greatest is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Peter writes, Blessed be the Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. That's that's a wonderful truth, that we are heirs, that we have an inheritance to look forward to. And I don't know about you, but when I start thinking about the fact that I am an heir, right, I have an inheritance to look forward to in heaven, there's a part of me that thinks, is that selfish? Is that a selfish thought? Is that something that I should avoid thinking about? And and I think, and I don't know, again, if you're like me, but when I think about the prosperity gospel, I think about people who are trying to use God in a selfish way. Right? God is my means to a better life. It's my means to wealth, to riches, to stuff. It's my means to health. Right? It's it's my means to, to success. And I don't, I mean, I push against that. I don't want... God to be used selfishly in my life. But then when I think I got an inher- eternal inheritance, I think oh, maybe I'm just maybe I'm just being selfish. Right? And so so I go to, oh, and this is what I want to preach about most often is you're gonna suffer. It's gonna be hard. Life is tough. Don't think that you come to Jesus and, and miraculously all your problems are solved. And maybe personally I err too much on talking about all of the suffering that we experience and not enough balancing that with the inheritance that we're given, which is something God talks about. It's not something that we're making up. It's something that I think we're supposed to look forward to. In fact, even in some of the verses that we often go to that talk about suffering, did you know that Paul in Romans, when he talks about suffering he immediately balances that with the inheritance. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16, it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Okay, this is glorious that we're heirs. And then he says, If indeed we suffer with him. Okay, so we're going to suffer. That we may also be glorified together. Do you see the balance, guys? Do you see that that what Christ is offering here is not a perfect life this side of heaven? He's saying that there will be suffering, there will be difficulty, there will be trials for sure, but he's also saying that there is an eternal inheritance to look forward to, that we will be glorified together with him someday. I don't think enough about this truth, and I think it's a problem. I think what happens is the trials that we face become larger and larger if we don't put them in the perspective of eternity, I think that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to see both the suffering that we're called to, and we don't have to run away from because we've got the inheritance that's coming. So we've come together to worship this morning, to remember the Lord's death until he comes. And I want to focus on what his death means for us. What does it mean that we've been purchased by the blood of Christ? How was the death of Christ the fulfillment of God's greatest promise to us? Right? How is it the new covenant? Does it usher in the new covenant? And the goal to this morning is that we can leave encouraged, motivated, and grateful that we've been given such a glorious gift. Excited about what's before us as believers. So a while ago, I asked you to turn to Hebrews 9. I hope you're still there. Uh, The chapter begins with a description of the Old Testament sacrificial system. So it lists the the tabernacle and the, the furniture within it and the veil that separates the holy place from the holiest of holies. And then we find out that behind the veil, the priest will go once every year, and he goes behind that veil to offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. But we find out pretty soon that that sacrifice is incomplete. It doesn't actually fix the whole problem. It provides a temporary covering, especially for those sins that are, that are committed in ignorance, but it doesn't fix the problem. It is incomplete and ultimately ineffective. But that all of that is pointing towards something else. And so Tom read from Hebrews 9, starting at verse 11, and that something else is what he read. It's that, that Christ... Came. Verse 11 begins with, but Christ came. And and I know we are, I'm, I, I'll talk about myself. I am a, not a super emotional person. I don't know if you know that about me, but I'm not. But I do recognize when I read this chapter and you start to, to see the sacrificial system and you see the ineffectiveness and the incompleteness of it, that what is meant to happen within us is to say, this, this is not good. This is a problem. And then when, when we get to verse 11 and it says, But Christ came, that is the exciting part, right? That's the part that we, we pay attention to, get excited about. He says, Not with the blood of animals, right? He didn't take what the priest did, he took his own blood and not just to a symbolic altar that, that God told them to create. No, he took it to the throne of God in heaven. And and what Christ's blood accomplishes is not just a temporary covering of sin, but it is an eternal washing away of that sin. So it can never be brought up again. Eternal redemption is what was accomplished. So let's begin with that in mind at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. It says, And for this reason He, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. There's a lot in this verse. He begins by saying that for this reason, because Christ has gone to the throne of heaven, because he has spilled his blood, because he's poured that blood over the altar, and all of our sins have been washed away. Because of that, he is now the mediator of a new covenant. Does anybody know what a mediator is? What does a mediator do? It takes two parties who are at odds, who can't come together. They're irreconciled. And a mediator somehow steps in, and he finds a way to bring those parties together. And so Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant because he took a perfectly holy God before whom sin can never enter. And he took a perfectly unholy people (laughs) who sin by nature and by choice on a very regular basis. I would say daily, but it's more than that. And he reconciled those two things. He brought them together. He mediated a new covenant, the new promise. And how did he do that? Well, it goes on to explain it. By means of death. So he brought them together by dying by giving his life for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. So what we find out is that these people over here are under the first covenant, the covenant of law, and that based on what the law says, they deserve judgment. Okay, There is no person in human history outside of Jesus who does not fall short of God's law. Romans chapter 3 makes that abundantly clear. Every single person has broken God's law. So under God's law, we are all deserving of judgment. And Jesus comes to redeem us from those transgressions, to buy us back. So all of those who are under the first covenant who cannot be reconciled to the holy God can now be reconciled because Jesus has died, spilt his blood, to redeem those under the first covenant, Okay. Then he goes on, he says that those who are called, those who, those who come to Jesus in faith may receive the promise of the internal inheritance. So not only do we find ourselves here now with the ability to be reconciled because there's a mediator, but we find what, we're, what we get, what we're reconciled toward, that there's an eternal inheritance available to us. Now he's going to take this idea of an inheritance and he's going to explain it. And I think he spends the next 13 verses or so defending and explaining what it means that we have an eternal inheritance. Verse 16 says, for where there is a testament, okay, this is, think of it as a a last will and testament. Okay, Most of us, hopefully, hopefully the adults here mostly have a last will and testament. That means when you die, everything that you own has a place to go. Okay? You you've determined what you want to happen to your stuff and who's going to take care of your children or whatever else, whatever things you have. So, for where there is a testament, there's a last will and testament. If it exists, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator, for a testament is in full force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. And and I think this is a wonderful picture. It helps us to understand this because. In the Old Testament, God puts this sacrificial system in place. It's pointing towards something. He also has prophets who come, and they talk about the fact that one day, Jesus, or a, a Messiah, will be sent, and that he will bear the sins of mankind. He will, he will be slain as a lamb, and he will take our sins upon himself. So this is all promised. There's, if you will, a testament in place, a promise in place. But if you think about your own will, right? Tara and I have a will. It is not super updated. And some of our children have no home if we die. (laughs) But, (laughs) thank you. Uh, But that will, while I'm living, can be changed. Right? It, It might be a promise that's in place, a promise of where my things are going to go. But it doesn't have any effect yet. And it can be changed all the way up until the point that I die. And as soon as I die, then that will takes full power, full effect, right? It can't be altered after I'm dead because I I made it. So my death seals that will and it makes it effective. So in the same way, when Jesus came, all of this had been promised. It was all the plan of redemption was in place. But it didn't take full effect until Jesus came, and he died on the cross, and he was buried, and he rose again. And when the one who made the promises died, when the testament, the will, it came into effect. That means that it's in effect now. You understand that? And, and that's part of what, I, what encouraged me, I think, was as I thought about That I am not just a future heir of a will that hopefully will come to pass. But that he's already died. And that the inheritance already exists. It's already there. It can't be taken away. It can't be changed. It's mine. It's pretty cool. The next section, uh, next four verses, I don't think they're very popular in our culture because they talk a lot about blood. And if if you look at some of the, the world's issues with Christianity, you will find that, that it's a bloody religion, right? There's countless animal sacrifices in the past, and then at the center of it all is infanticide, uh, when a father kills. What's it called? Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so verse 18. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and of the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled the blood both in the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. And I, I say that, I read that because I think when we think about what happened there, what God was doing in the Old Testament sacrifices, it, it was a very bloody ordeal. It, like it was shocking, and I think it was supposed to be. Do you see what he it says? That there was the blood of the goat, goats and calves, and he would sprinkle, he would dip something in that blood, and then he'd sprinkle it all over the book itself, and then all over all the people, and then all over all, over all of what was happening in there. And, and it was covering everything with red. And it reminded people that there was a cost to their sin, that something had to die to atone for their sin it reminded them of the price of sin but it also pointed forward to a perfect sacrifice that could do that forever and i guess what we need to recognize is when the bible talks about jesus and what he accomplished the blood is a big deal right it's not a tertiary issue it's there is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood and we sing songs like nothing but the blood, or there is a fountain filled with blood, or his blood availed for me, or he sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. There is power in the blood. Twas his blood, his precious blood, that stained the old rugged cross. Twas his love that paid the awful cost. O oh soul so far astray, come and plunge in today. I mean, Think about that that, what that analogy looks like in real life. Come plunge into the blood? In the blood that stained the old rugged cross, it's kind of gross. And yet, this is the imagery. This is is the way that God atoned for our sins was by sending his Son, whose perfect blood can cleanse us. Verse 24. He starts to bring it all together here. He says, For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are the copies of the true, So he didn't go into the actual physical temple in Jerusalem. He didn't go into the holiest of holies. Instead, he went, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, not that he should offer himself often, not that he's going to do this over and over again, as the priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another, he then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And all he's saying here is this is the real thing. This is God, Jesus, coming to die for us and then going back up to heaven and offering that perfect and final sacrifice forever so it would never be done again, in the real place, at the throne of the altar of God. It's finished. And, verse 27, as is appointed for men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from him, for, from sin, for salvation. Here is the gospel in a nutshell, right? We are all destined to the grave. It is appointed unto men once to die. And not only do we all go to the grave, that's where we're all headed, but after that, every single one of us will face the judgment. Yesterday, Travis gave his testimony at our men's breakfast, and one of the things he said I thought was um, interesting. He said, hell, fire, and brimstone preaching doesn't work for everyone. But it worked for me. (laughs) And here's the honest truth. Every single one of us, if the Lord tarries his coming, will face death. It's just a matter of time. And when we die... Every single one of us will face judgment. And it doesn't matter if you believe it's true or not. It doesn't change the fact that everyone stands before God. And in that day, if we can wrap our minds around the, standing before a perfectly holy God, what do we have to offer? And the answer for human beings is absolutely nothing. Because none of us, we're all under the first covenant, we've all failed. And that blood of goats and calves that covers for a little bit, it's not going to cut it. And so here enters Christ. He offered himself once to bear the sins of many. It's the gospel, right? That Christ came and he died. He gave himself so that he could take our sins upon himself. Everything that makes us dirty and guilty and unrighteous and unholy, all of it. Yeah, the worst part of you. Like the thing that you would never tell anybody else. Jesus came, took that on himself, died on the cross. Your sins are nailed to the cross and you receive his per- perfect righteousness. And then he says, those who eagerly wait for him. In other words, those who have placed their faith in him, who are trusting him, who believe in his finished work on the cross, who believe he is the Lord and that he's coming back. Those have their sins separated from them. <laughs> that's, that's cool. I mean, to think that like, I know me, guys. I, I know what I deserve. And to think that Jesus, because of his death, takes away that, that worst part of me, that sin, separates from us, nails it to his cross, and we are granted eternal salvation. That's awesome. And so, before we close, notice the cost of the inheritance. The cost of the inheritance was the incarnation of Jesus, God becoming man, the life of Jesus, living a perfect and sinless life, so he was not deserving of his own punishment, and then his death on the cross as he shed his blood for us, his resurrection, and now his mediation for us in heaven. What is the result? What is the result of all of this? Because this is kind of where I want us to, to leave thinking about. The result is, we are forgiven. We are washed clean. Our sins are separated from us. We have an eternal inheritance. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Right? This is not just talking about, man, you've got fire insurance. You've got this paycheck that you're going to get someday in heaven. No, this is a brand new person. A new human. A new creature. Again with our teens, um, I was sitting with them and kind of like just in our grow in our small group. I was I was looking out and I was thinking like how shameful it is that the whole world is telling them where their value comes from, and that that it's so hard for them to really get it. It's it's not in what they look like. It's not in how many likes they get. It's not on how cool how cool they are or how smart they are or how talented they are, or athletic or any of those things. It is in the, what God sees of them. It is in who they are in Christ. And, and then I started thinking about the fact that we have people in our world who are teaching the same thing the world is teaching, and they're putting a Christian spin on it. People like Joel Osteen, who are giving positive affirmations that this is what you need to do, and this will make you feel better, And I looked up some of these. The first eight here, this is what came. It is, I am successful. So you're supposed to affirm this and then it will come into being. Guess what? Probably won't. (laughs) I mean, who knows what defines success. But if you stand there as an unsuccessful human being and you just say, I'm successful, nothing's happening. I'm confident. Maybe not though. Talk to most teenagers, they're not super confident. They just try and pretend. I think it's probably true of a lot of adults too. I am powerful. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Until you get a cold or you hit by a truck. Um, I am strong. I am getting better and better every day. I am not. I am not getting better. I'm at that point where I'm on my way down, you know? All I need is within me right now. (laughs) Oh man. If that's true, man, I am in so much trouble. Because what's in me without Jesus is, is not good. I am motivated. Okay, but what about the days that you're not motivated? Can you just say that and then you are? I am an unstoppable force of nature. Okay, how about, but, but like we do that and we say that that's, that's ridiculous and I think unhelpful. But what about truth? I'm a child of God. I am forgiven. I am accepted. I am adopted. I am worth dying for. No, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think I'm so wonderful that I'm worth dying for that way. I'm I'm saying that the God of heaven looked down on the earth and saw a wretched sinner and said, I'm going to die for them. I have an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and being kept in heaven for me. I am an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ, a citizen of heaven. I am a prince in the kingdom of God. I am empowered and sealed by the Spirit of God. I can see victory in my life because of Christ who is in me. I can have joy in my circumstances because my joy is found in him. What if we spoke truth to ourselves more often? What if we considered what his death has accomplished for us both in this life and forever. Uh, We all love the idea of an inheritance, don't we? I mean, if you were to just think about uh, an earthly inheritance, it sounds really nice until you start thinking about it more and you you realize that in order to receive an inheritance, somebody you love has to die. That's not a good thing. You don't want that to happen. And then most of the time when people receive inheritance, they end up fighting about it with their siblings or or whatever. It takes good relationships and ruins them. Some of you have probably been through that. Um, And The inheritance that you receive is probably not as much as you hope for, and then it fades away so quickly. And a lot of times when we receive inheritance, it's not when we really need it in life, it's kind of later in life when you're already set, right? And so you go buy a Rolex or something. Like that's, that's, the earthly version doesn't, it doesn't, it's not as wonderful as it sounds, but we like the idea of it. But what if we caught the idea of an eternal inheritance that isn't fading? That's been already purchased for us. Oh man, I just I wish we would we would see that. We'd believe it. And we could we'd leave here motivated by it, motivated to love and to serve and to face our circumstances differently than we are because of what we have in him. I'm gonna close with this quote by Thomas Watson. He says, Has Christ provided such a, a blessed banquet for us? Does he not? Nurse us abroad, but he he does not nurse us abroad. He's not he's not pushed us far away. But he feeds us at his own breast, nay, by his own blood. Let us then study to respond to his great love. It is true we can never parallel his love. Yet let us show ourselves thankful. We can do nothing that is satisfactory, but we may do something out of gratitude. Christ gave himself as a sin offering for us. Let us give ourselves as a thank offering for him. If a man redeems another out of debt, will he not be grateful? How deeply do we stand obliged to Christ who has redeemed us from hell? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the inheritance that we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you that... So much was taken care of on that cross for us, Lord, that, that what Jesus did, we can barely begin to understand that he took our sin on him, his own shoulders, that he gave us his perfect righteousness, and now we stand um, ready to receive the inheritance that belongs to him, that we are joint heirs with Christ. And God, I pray that your spirit would do the work that I certainly can't today. I pray that you would encourage, that you would strengthen, that you would motivate. Uh, And Lord, if there's one here today that they're not sure they are a child of God, they don't know that they've been redeemed, that they've been born again, God, I pray that they would see what Christ has done. And in seeing that, they would turn to him, that they'd put their faith and trust in him, repent of their sins, and believe what Jesus did for them. God, we thank you for your glorious gift to us and may we remember um, this morning in a way that pleases you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we've gathered together this morning to remember with gratitude the death of Jesus, to celebrate the life he has given us and to participate united together with our church family in the unity of the body of Christ in anticipation of the day when Jesus will come again. Ask those who are going to help serve to come forward. And we will invite all those who have been saved by grace through faith alone, and since the time of their conversion have been baptized by immersion, to join in celebrating the Lord's Supper with us. And this this time I'll ask the men to help hand out the elements. Actually no they should stand up. Okay. So we're just going to we're just going to hand them out now. So. Okay. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, Paul writes, When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul, would you pray for the bread? Oh, sorry. Herb. Dear Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us. As we hold this bread... We come to you to repent for any sins we have committed. We
0: remember that you suffered. Your body was broken so we could have our sins forgiven and have access to eternal life. We are truly grateful. Amen.
1: Jesus said, Take, eat, this is my body. Eat and remember. After the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul, would you pray for the cup? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your plan of salvation, and we thank you for sending your Son to shed his blood so precious to us. Mm-hmm. And even though, Lord, we would normally turn away from blood. And I uh, see it as a, a mean thing. Um, your blood is precious, and your blood gives us redemption, justification, and cleanses us so that we can serve in a new and living way. We thank you, Lord, for your precious blood. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Jesus said, drink all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink and remember.
0: Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about what you've just heard or are interested in the ministry of Maple City, please visit our website at maplecitybaptistchurch.com.